All right, you're going to want to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 18. We're going to, we're going to hit a couple of verses in 18, and then we're going to move on to uh, chapter 20. So right now you can go 1 Samuel 18. If you're on a device, uh, iPad, phone, computer, whatever you got. Uh, ESV version will get you to where we're going, keep you tracking. We have a cat, and we post about our cat. My wife just laughs right when I say that. I don't know why that's funny. It's the... It's really the opposite of funny most of the time, owning a cat, if you've ever owned a cat. Um, but our cat is, um, he's very affectionate, uh, especially with me. I don't, I don't know why that is. Um, and he, uh, but, he, but he is only affectionate with Melissa and I. And um, he has this really peculiar thing, which is probably not peculiar, it's probably just cat, um, where he, he gets real close to you. He, he likes to get on the couch with you, get on a chair with you and get in real tight. And at the, I mean, somebody in a nearby town could drop a feather, right? And somehow that dude's going to hear it and he's going to bounce off the couch just as you're getting warm and cozy and he's going to leave you, right? Um, the other thing that he's not very good at is when there's a major, like a storm outside and lightning and, you know, the whole deal, right? What we experience here. And um, he's nowhere to be found, right? So if I thought that maybe going through heavy storms, I would have a pet to give me some level of comfort, um, I, I got, the wrong, got the wrong pet for that, you know? Um, the other thing that's unique uh, about this guy is um, if anybody ever comes over, so if any of y'all ever been in our house, I mean, he literally finds the darkest corner of like the lower regions of our home, somewhere that we've never even been, could get into or even seen before in our house. And he somehow hides out there um, until that person is gone. And not just gone, so not just as they walk out the door, but they walk out the door and he has to be sure that they're actually gone. We might not see that guy for, for days. You know, it's that bad. Um, the thing that our cat has a mixture of really is he's, he's loyal on the one hand until things get uncomfortable for him. And then he bails. He's nowhere to be found. And this is a little bit, man, what a transition I have right now in front of me. This is a little bit of, uh, of what we're going to see this morning. We talked about friendship, uh, faithful friendship last week. We're going to continue with that because that's where David's story takes us. To, as we see his relationship with Jonathan, we see how it grows and develops. And what, what we're going to look at this morning specifically um, is what it looks like for us to be loyal friends. How, how, do, how do we be a loyal friend through times of adversity, through storms in other people's lives? Last week, we, we saw David, he had just developed this really deep friendship with uh, a guy named Jonathan who happened to be the the crown prince, King Saul's son. And simultaneously, remember, uh, David also had this incredibly toxic relationship that was developing with Saul um, that we're, we're, we're going to learn today is not going to get any better. It just it keeps declining and descending. But we were reminded of how incredibly fragile and complex friendships are and that we need to trust that the Lord, even in those complexities and in those fragilities, we're reminded that the Lord is present in all those relationship struggles. He's, he's there. 
Um, we also focused on this joyful reality that Jesus is our true and faithful friend, no matter what kind of state our relationships are in. You guys are, are all in relationships that are kind of doing this right now. I mean, it just, it doesn't matter who I talk to. Like nobody here is going to say, you know what, it's 100% right now. Everybody I know, Ronnie, it's 100% right now. It's like, I would just say, you're like my cat. You're, you're living in a corner of that. You, you, you must not talk to anybody or have a relationship with anybody because that's just impossible for that reality to be true of us. We're always, we're always in sort of a, a place and in a state when it comes to our relationships, right? We also know that Jesus is there, right? So he's there in those darker places that sometimes our relationships go. And today, we're, we're gonna, like I said before, we're gonna continue with this theme of a faithful friend, but we're going to look at what it means for you and I to be that kind of friend, to be that loyal friend to others, especially when they're experiencing hard times, dark times, adversity. This was the kind of friend that Jonathan was to David. So I'm gonna begin in chapter 18. We already read this a few weeks ago, but I'm gonna pick up with just the first four verses just to remind us of how this friendship started with Jonathan and David. 18 verse one says, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day, would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. So we see this relationship that just was formed between Jonathan and David. And it was just not some like casual acquaintance. Like, hey, you want to grab coffee every once in a while? Because we like some of the same things. No, this was like at a soul level, this was like a devoted relationship, which is the nature of a covenant. We'll talk about that in a second. Let's turn to chapter 20. And we're going to go through the first 17 verses. And I'm just going to read about how this friendship played out in the life of David when he came into a pretty desperate hour, which would be the one of many desperate hours that he was going to experience with, with uh, his relationship with King Saul. But this is what it says in, in 20 verse 1, Then David fled from Naoth and Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, again, he's, just to set this up, he's, he's having some problems as we learned with King Saul. Saul is not happy with David because David is, is receiving a lot of the praise and accolades that would normally go to Saul because he's given Saul David command over a portion of his army. David's having all kinds of success. So David's getting out there on the battlefield. He's crushing it. And the people are praising David, but you know, they're not praising Saul simultaneously. So Saul realizes, okay, something's going on here. I'm losing my grip in my grasp on the kingdom because of this guy, David. And so that brings us to where we are now. And David says to Jonathan, verse 1 of 20, What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he said to him, far from it. This is Jonathan talking. You shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. But David vowed again, saying, your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Verse 4, then Jonathan said to David, whatever you say, I will do for you. And David said to Jonathan, behold, tomorrow is the new moon. 
and I shall not fail to sit at table with the king, but uh, let me go that I may hide myself in the field till the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. If he says, good, it will be well with your servant. But if he is angry, then know that harm is determined by him. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself. For why should you bring me to your father? And Jonathan said, far be it from you. If I knew that it was determined by my father that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, come, let us go out into the field. So they both went out into the field. Verse 12. And Jonathan said to David, the Lord, the God of Israel, be a witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if he is well disposed toward David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan and more also, if I do not disclose it to you and send you away that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive... Show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. 16, and Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, may the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him for he loved him as he loved his own soul. That's the Lord's word for us today. What we see here in a nutshell is that being loyal through adversity is one of the defining characteristics of true friendship and one of the defining characteristics of Jesus himself. Being a faithful friend, being loyal. The reason why we're seeing this level of loyalty and of true friendship um, between David and Jonathan is because of what we read in chapter 18, which was they had formed a covenant with each other. Like I said before, this was not just some sort of casual relationship. We have so many casual relationships in our life, right? So sometimes it's hard for us to understand what a covenant meant between two friends like Jonathan David. You and I, we have friends all the time that we just sort of keep in close contact with, that we, that we, you know, uh, that we engage with on a more casual level, right? We might do a dinner together. We might go do something fun. We might watch a game. We might grab lunch. All that can be meaningful. All that can even go deep, but this goes to the deepest place imaginable between two people in the sense that they formed this covenant between uh, the, the two of them. What is a covenant? Well, this is what it means. This is like the definition of a covenant. It's that it's an oath-bound relationship between two or more parties. It's oath-bound. So they bound each other to themselves, right, for the rest of their lives. Um, they, they, bound to each, they bound to each other in the deepest way possible. It was really was a, it was a promise of lifelong love and devotion, friendship and loyalty. In a lot of ways, a covenant is how we, um, it's how we understand things like marriage, right? You make an oath to remain faithful to another human being uh, for life. And through all the hard stuff, um, through all the good stuff, 
through all the years of plenty, through all the lean years, through whatever it is that you go through, you say, we will stay together. I will remain by your side. I will stay faithful to you. Being a church member is another way that we understand a covenant with one another. So those of you who have become church members at Substance, what we say is that you are covenanting uh, with the church. And by the church, we don't mean this building, right? We mean with, with the people, right? This is how we understand um, forming a covenant. We pledge our love and our faithfulness uh, to Jesus and to this local church body for as long as, long as we're here. Right? So we're not just saying, hey, this is casual for us. We're saying we're getting in as deeply as we can. We want to commit ourselves to you. And we want you to commit yourself to us as deeply as we can for as long as we're here. So David and Jonathan, they formed that kind of a bond that had love and loyalty at its very Core. In fact, Jonathan phrases it, and they tell us this, I think, three times, where he says he loved David like his own soul. He loved David like his own soul. What does that mean exactly? Well, it really, very simply, it means that the kind of love and attention and care that you and I naturally just devote to ourselves, for example, by default, Jonathan had for David. So when Jonathan says, I love you like I love my own soul, the natural care um, that, that he would have for himself in the way that he nourished his own body and his own soul, he was saying, that's the kind of friendship that I'm going to have with you. That's the level of the bond that I'm going to have with you. In fact, uh, Paul talks about this. Uh, related to marriage in Ephesians 5.29. He talks about husbands loving their wives. He said, he phrases it like this. He says, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. And so we understand that there is this natural default we have into cherishing and nourishing ourselves, whether we think we are or not. Um, there's something about the way that we look after um, our own needs. And Jonathan is saying this is the level at which he was committed and loved and was loyal uh, to, to David, right? Contained love, contained sacrifice, it contained commitment, it contained surrender. This is what made David feel safe when he told Jonathan, look, your dad doesn't really like me. And worse than that, I believe he wants to kill me, right? The last time I had a conversation like that was when I asked Melissa's dad for her hand in marriage, right? Nervous, a little nervous, right? Interestingly, Jonathan, we see here, can't fathom that his father feels this way. So he wasn't there when David experienced with King Saul some of that, um, some of that, you know, uh, some of the, the, you know, the attitude that, that King Saul had against David, right? Some of the hatred that King Saul had against David because all of these things were forming in his heart against him. Jonathan just wasn't there for whatever reason. So when David is giving Jonathan this news, I, I mean, would you, uh, Jonathan is like, I don't understand what you're saying. Like, like me and my dad were tight. Like, like I'm right there with him. Like he, he shares all of his secrets, all of his heart to me about everything that's going on in the kingdom. And David's going, you got to hear me here. I'm telling you my experience here. Your dad's motivations toward me are not good. And here's what's important. 
Jonathan doesn't dismiss David's concerns. He doesn't dismiss David's concerns. He listens to David. That was part of what came out of the depth of that covenant that they had together. Right? He didn't say, David, you know what, dude, I don't have time for this. You're crazy. You've lost your mind. But he says, okay, because you're telling me this, because we have formed this bond of trust, I got to listen to you. This is what's important for us to remember about this exchange. It's this, David, Jonathan took David seriously. Jonathan took David seriously. And we ask that about our own lives and our own relationships. When people are sharing their hearts to us and they're committing themselves to us, they're sacrificing to us, we have to say, hey, when you're telling me something that doesn't all add up, uh, maybe it doesn't add up, but am I taking you seriously? Am I listening to what you have to say? And so this is what we see happening, right? Jonathan doesn't dismiss it. Jonathan says, okay, let's, let's prove that this is true. Let's check this out. Let's explore this. And so David devises a plan. He, he said, hey, look, I'm going to skip this. There was this mandatory meal that he would have um, at the new moon, the first of the month uh, with King Saul. It was that, you know, everybody that was part of, king, of the king's party would be a part of this. And so it wasn't something that you would just be able to skip, right? And uh, basically David is saying, look, if Saul seems okay with my absence, then he would say, let's consider that a sign that he doesn't want to harm me, that his intentions toward me aren't bad. And Jonathan, hey, they're what you're saying. They're, they're not for evil. They're good. Jonathan knows how serious the situation is. And that's another important thing for us to recognize here is that as David devises this plan, Jonathan says, let's do it. And not only that, but Jonathan understands how serious the situation is if Saul doesn't respond well. It means a lot. Like the implications are huge. They go deep if Saul indeed is after um, David's life. So they make a new covenant. They reaffirm their covenant in a sense with each other. And Jonathan makes David promise that if anything happens to him during this, that David will not cut off his family. See, but what would happen is that if a, if a king comes in and the king isn't related um, to, you know, to the current king, if it's not the king's son, um, and, and a king is, is called by God, anointed by God, somebody outside of the family to come in and be king, what would typically happen in that situation is a king like David would come and he would just sort of wipe out and eliminate any threat from the previous family. So, so Jonathan's recognizing that, right? Because if David comes in and he's not flesh and blood with King Saul, a normal king would say, hey, there's all these threats. There's all these threats in King Saul's family from all these people who might think they should be king. I got to get rid of those. I got to eliminate those. And so what Jonathan is saying is, don't, don't do that to me. Promise me that you're going you're gonna to keep me, you're going you're gonna to keep my offspring safe is what he's saying affirm that to me. And that's what David does. Jonathan also swears that any enemy of David is an enemy of his. Again, he shows that loyalty and, and he's thinking about his father when he says that. Because if David is the anointed king, then it's true Then any enemy of David is really an enemy of God because God has anointed David. So the implications for Jonathan to make this covenant, the risk that Jonathan is taking in this like, we don't want to miss the, the, the gravity of it, right? A lot of risk involved in covenanting with a person, right? 
covenantal relationships. A lot of, a lot of risk involved in any relationship. If, if you don't want to simply just be a casual friend with another human being, if you're saying, hey, I am here for you. Well, the, the thing with that is that we're fallen human beings uh, a lot of sin can be committed against one another. A lot of hardships can be experienced within the relationship. And a covenant is saying, I'm going to stick with you. I'm going to stick with you. Now, let me qualify. There is a time not to stick with somebody if they are harming you to a degree that you need to walk away. That's not just a flipping qualification. That's a serious qualification, Right? So again, we don't want to take these things and just treat them like, like, you know, like, like something of which there is no nuance involved. But generally speaking, what we're talking about here with Jonathan and David is something that was going to cost both of them. It cost something for David to be in it with Jonathan, but have the kind of toxicity that he's experiencing with Saul. And it was really something for Jonathan to have that relationship with David. It really had some implications, right? A lot of risk involved in relationship, right? A lot of risk is involved in relationship. So here's what I want to spend the rest of our time talking about. And I want to, I want to ask this question, attempt to answer this question that I think the text answers, which is this. What does it take to be the kind of friend Jonathan was so that we can ultimately be the kind of friend Jesus is to us. Because all of this that we're seeing, this covenant between Jonathan and David, this true friendship that they had, this deep friendship, it ultimately brings us back to Jesus. We talked about this last week. It brings us back to the kind of faithful friend Jesus is and the kind of loyal friend that Jesus is through all the kinds of adversity that you experience and I experience. So this isn't just something for us to go, man, this would make a, you know, man, wouldn't this be a great, like, I, I wish Netflix would do like a series on Jonathan and David. Yeah, that would be sweet if they got the right actors. But really what this is supposed to do is, is point to, hey, this is the kind of loyalty that we have from none other than Jesus Christ himself. Amen. But here's the first thing we want to talk about. What does it take to be that kind of friend Jonathan is, to be the, the kind of friend Jesus has to us? The first thing is this, is we need to be curious. All right. Let me unpack that for us. But this is, this is what I mean is we need to be curious. Jonathan took an interest. Anybody ever say that to you flippantly? Typically somebody much younger than you. Take an interest, you know. Um, Jonathan took an interest in David. He explored what was going on in David's life. There's all this stuff going on in David's life that Jonathan should know about, but he doesn't know about. I think that's AKA every relationship I've ever been in. You know, even my own wife, um, who's sitting in the front row here, um, there are things I, I, you know, the thing is when you get married, you, you don't like, you don't inherit this thing called telepathy, mental telepathy. Like, I don't, I don't know everything that she's thinking and I'm afraid to look at her right now and experiencing <laughs> at any given moment. I, I don't. And what I've learned in my older years is that, oh boy, I really don't. I, I really, really don't. And, you know, the flip is true, too. Like, she doesn't know everything that's going on inside my mind and inside my heart, right? Um, we need to have a curiosity with each other. We need to be curious. Jonathan was curious. He explored what was going on in David's life. He got to the bottom of the cares that were troubling David's soul. And we have to ask that question. 
If we want to be a friend like Jonathan, which is being a friend like Jesus, are we, do we practice how to be a curious friend like this? Because what's contained in curiosity is, is a couple of things, all right? The first thing that's contained in curiosity is this, is that you don't make assumptions. You're not making assumptions. Jonathan's experience with Saul was different than David's. Different relationship. Jonathan is the son of Saul. David is going to be uh, the successor to Saul. Man, there's just, some, there's just some major differences there. And if Jonathan was just to say, I don't know what you're talking about, man. David, uh, Saul treats me awesome. You know, you could see David saying, well, no kidding, brother, because you're his son. Right? Like our relationship is different. And so for Jonathan to be curious and go, David, lay it out. What, what's going on? What, what's the problem here? I'm not seeing it, but I'm listening and I'm curious because even though this doesn't, this doesn't just kind of vibe with what I know about my dad or what I've seen about my dad, you're telling me something that is important for me to listen to and to hear. That's curiosity. That's contained. That's one of the things contained in curiosity is that you don't just make assumptions. Secondly, um, you leave a space for vulnerability when you're curious. When you come to somebody and you say, hey, tell me what it is that's going on in your life Bear your soul a little bit. What you do in that moment is you create a space for vulnerability. Sometimes people have things they would like to get out but don't feel they can until somebody has the courage and the curiosity to ask. When, you, when you're showing curiosity, what you're doing is you're, you're almost sometimes opening a door for somebody to finally say and finally get off their chest, which, which may be weighing something that may be weighing them down. So you, you create space for vulnerability. The third thing you do is you learn that other people's stories are different from your stories. You learn that other people's experiences are different from yours. You know, our stories are not one size fits all based on a hundred different things. We don't all experience the same thing the way everybody else experiences the same things, right? One of the most curious and gracious questions that we can ask a person, that you can ask a person, a friend, is what is it like for you? What is this like for you? What is this like for you based on your upbringing? What is this like for you based on where you grew up, the parents you had, the way they raised you, the siblings that you lived with? The list goes on and on and on. What is this like for you based on the color of your skin. I can try to act like I know what that's like, but the fact is, is that I don't. What is this like for you? Curiosity is kindness because it leads to clarity. And clarity is kindness. Jesus is curious. Jesus approaches us curiously. It's like, Ronnie, that's impossible. He already knows what's going on in my heart and my soul, right? But he still comes to us and he still invites us in. That's the response of a curious person, right? What does Jesus say? He says, come to me. He invites you to lay your burdens on him. He says, tell me. Why is Jesus inviting us to tell him something that he already knows? Well, because it's about us being able to find some sense of presence and some sense of relief and some sense of 
confession created in our own souls and the things that are hard for us. We can be this kind of covenant friend, by the way, to others. We can be this. We can be curious. We need to be curious. We can be curious because Jesus invites us to bear our souls to him and he is the safest place imaginable. So what what you'll see sometimes is that sometimes it's so hard for us to be curious with other people because we are not bearing our souls or in the practice of bearing our souls to Jesus the way that he invites us in to do that. So I I found that in my own life, okay? If I'm not incredibly curious with people, if I look at my own sense, if I look at my own prayer life, if, if if I look at how honest I am and vulnerable I am to Jesus, sometimes I find that I'm not very honest, not very vulnerable. The invitation he's given me to come to him and lay my burdens on him, I'm just not taking him up on that. I don't do that very well. And so what happens in me then is I don't do that to others very well. So it starts with the way that we approach Jesus and just accepting and rejoicing in the fact that he just wants us to come to him and lay it all out. We're not not giving him new information, but we're going to receive fresh waves of his love and grace, mercy, conviction, all of it. Amen? Does that make sense? What does it take to be the kind of friend that Jonathan was? We need to be curious. Secondly, we need to get involved. We need to get involved. Jonathan wasn't only curious. He wasn't only curious, right? He also got involved. It's like Jonathan was saying, David, what can I do to help? He was saying, how can I be a loyal friend to you in the middle of this mess, of this adversity? Again, we have to remember, this is, this is Jonathan's daddy-o, right? There's so much at risk, so much cost for Jonathan. It's not just any dad either, by the way, the king of Israel. Jonathan's involvement with David, it was going to come at a cost. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, do we get involved with people at this level? Do we show this sense of just deep covenantal brotherly and sisterly love to others in this way? Can people depend on you to put your hands into the dirt of their lives and say, hey, I'm here to help you. I'm here to help you. You can't think straight right now? Let me think for you. You're afraid to make a move? You're kind of back to the state of paralysis has come over you? Let me use my hands and my feet for you. Jesus gets involved in your life like this. He does. He says, I will pray for you. He says, I will go to the Father with your prayers. Even when you don't know what to pray, the groanings and the voices and all the guttural sounds that come out of your soul that you can't even articulate and make sense of, like I transcribe those. And I bring him to the Father. Jesus gets involved in your life. And he is sympathetic to the things of your life the way Jonathan was to David. He's sympathetic to all the things you deal with. And he knows something about it. Why? Well, because we're told he was tempted in every way. He was tempted in every way. And yet, he was tempted in every way but without sinning. And what's great about that is that what happens in our, listen to this, what happens in our temptation is that we get up to here in our temptation and then we give in to our temptation. 
So we don't experience everything that can be experienced by overcoming temptation. You know what Jesus did? Jesus experienced temptation in a way that we don't. He was tempted, he got up to that line, and he overcame the temptation. So he actually has gotten through temptation in a way that you and I can't get through. So so his understanding of temptation and what it's like to be tempted, and then the sympathy that he pours out to you because of that, dude, it goes all the way. Why? Because I give in to temptation. I cut it short. It didn't get cut short for Jesus. He was tempted in every way, but without sin. Now, it doesn't just say without sin to say, hey, remember, he's perfect and you ain't. It's without sin so that you can understand that his sympathy goes, that is that vast. It's that wide. Because he got to a place that none of y'all are able to get to. Yes, I'm included when I say none of y'all. But isn't that beautiful, right? Jesus gets involved, and we can get involved. Jonathan got involved in the deepest level imaginable, the most practical way for curiosity to take shape and to take form is to give that tangible sense of involvement and care for another person. By the way, you know what that also does? It also gives uh, evidence that your faith is a real thing, right, when we go that deep. When we get that involved. James talks about this, James chapter 2.14. He says this, says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? He says, can that faith save him? Now, he's not saying that faith doesn't save a person. He's saying, what is the evidence that you have a faith? And then he says this, he says, look, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And so to be the kind of friend Jonathan was to David means that we're not only just curious about somebody's situation, but we get involved and we say, what do you need me to do? Because that's what Jesus did. Jesus wasn't up in heaven just kind of curious about the state of our sin. But he emptied himself. He humbled himself, Philippians tells us. He came down. He got involved. He got his hands dirty. Here's the third thing of how we can be the kind of covenant friend that Jonathan is. Um, We need to give our lives away. Man, this is sounding really uncomfortable already for me, right? We need to give our lives away. Jonathan wasn't ignorant of the complications that his friendship with David introduced into his life. He talks about it. Tons of complications. He knew this might cost him everything. I mean, this whole thing was just a balancing act uh, for Jonathan. But Jonathan was willing to give his life away because of the covenant he had with David, because he loved him like he loved his own soul. What does it mean for you and I to give our lives away? It means that in humility, we count others more significant than ourselves. Philippians 2.3. Again, this is speaking about Jesus who came and counted others more significant than ourselves. That's an act of humility for us in that sense to give our lives away to somebody. And by the way, when everybody is counting others more significant than themselves, then everybody's lives are being cared for in the church in significant ways, right? Of course, that's an ideal that we work toward, 
that scripture has commended to us, that Jesus has given to us. We don't do it perfectly, but we're reminded of it. And we work toward that. But this is what we're commanded to do. It's baseline Christian conduct. 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? John's asking that question, right? He said, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And the reason why we are able to do that, the reason why we're motivated to do that is because that's the way Jesus loved us. He loved us in deed and in truth. We need to be more like Jonathan so that we are more like Jesus who gave his life as a ransom, who established a new covenant with us at the cross, who absorbed the punishment that we deserved. Jesus is our loyal covenant friend, through the adversity that comes because of our fallenness and our faithlessness and our sin. And here's the thing about covenants, is that they can be broken because people are not always loyal to the end until we come to Jesus, who has this unbroken covenant with us, who is our most loyal friend, who remains true to us to the end. Listen to these words King Solomon wrote years later, at the dedication of the, of the temple in 1 Kings 8, 23. Listen to the way he described God's relationship with his dad, David. O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. You have kept with your servant David, my father, what you have declared to him. The Lord kept his covenant with David like he will with you. So that, that legacy that, that, that has been extended all the way from David to Jesus now gets extended to us all of these thousands of years later. That beautiful covenant of loyal friendship, of stick to of devout love, of deep friendship, that's ours in Jesus. And because we have that, we have something to give. We have something to offer everybody else. Here's two questions to reflect on and then we'll be done. Who are the people who have been loyal to you in that way through your life? Reflect on that. Have somebody pop into your mind. Maybe that's hard for you to do. I'm not saying everybody maybe even has somebody like that. But if you do, try to think about somebody right now who's been loyal to you throughout your life. And then thank God for that person. Actually thank that person. Jesus has showed himself to you through the the hands and hearts of the people around you that have had that kind of covenant loyalty through you in the adverse times of your life. Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. That's talking about Jesus right there who lives it out to its fullest. So who are the people who have been loyal to you? And then finally, who is somebody going through a difficult time that you can be a loyal friend to today. So we want to be encouraged by that. To reach out. To offer that person our curiosity. To get involved. To give our lives away to them. To be the hands, the feet, and the heart of Jesus Christ to them. By the way, this is how we create 
And this is how we cultivate a gospel-centered community. And I think I see, I think I see it all around. Like I, I think I see evidence of that all around. It doesn't mean I can't encourage us to do it. Right? We're not like at some point of arrival to where it's like, Ron, I don't even know why you're preaching this. We got, this, is, this is just all nailed down. We can be commended to do this more and more. This is how we avoid being cliquish. This is how we avoid being an exclusive church where people feel like it's easier to rob a bank than to break into our community. I don't think it's like that around here, but let's be guarded against that becoming that particular way, right? By the way, this is how we truly pass the peace of God to one another. You know, we have this moment in the middle of the church service where we say, hey, let's, as you all are talking, nobody hears the person saying it up here. Um, I'm reproving you a little bit with that. Um, but let's pass the peace of God. Let's, let's extend our, our hands and our hugs of peace to one another. Um, that's just supposed to be sort of a dress rehearsal for, for your response and your practice and your relationships with the people that you have during the week. How do, you, how do you extend the peace of God? What's some ways that you can do that during the week to your brothers and sisters? How do you do that? That's what we have to be thinking about. How can we be Jesus and pass the peace of God because Jesus is our peace to one another? The church exists as one body with many members so this is not about us just being a little more sociable. It's literally bearing the marks of a Christian and saying, you matter. I want to listen to you. I take you seriously. I want to know what's going on in your life. I want to be here for you in the deepest way that I can. Let me end with this. As God prepares David to be king, we're going to be getting way more into this as we go along. He's also allowing David to experience so much relational bad blood, conflict, and unrest with King Saul mainly. And one of the interesting things we see specifically in this exchange between David and Jonathan is how the Lord works. How the Lord works. He doesn't always eliminate our relationship problems. And when you go in deep with somebody, there is the chance and the risk that we're going to be asking for trouble and issues and misunderstandings and miscommunications down the road. Is that not even in those times more opportunities to experience God's grace for us? He doesn't always eliminate our relationship problems, but he always provides help and hope. Let me finish with Psalm 94. Who rises up for me against the wicked? It's the psalmist pleading with God. Who stands up for me against evildoers? Who's around, he's saying. Who's going to help? If the Lord has not been my help, my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence. When I thought, my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart were many, your consolations cheer my soul. That's who we have and if you have the Lord, you have this, this covenantal loyalty, love, and care to offer others. You are drawing from the well that is being constantly refilled by Jesus in your life as your faithful friend. Let's scoop out some of that water and offer it. 
to our brothers and sisters. Amen? Okay, let me pray. Lord, we thank you for this, uh, this story of David and Jonathan, um, how loyal Jonathan was to David through just some of the scariest and just worst situations and seasons of his life. Lord, I pray that as we understand you being that kind of loyal covenantal friend to us, Lord, I pray that we might look to our left and right, look to our neighbors, look to our brothers and sisters in the church and see how we might be able to be that for them. Lord, we thank you that you are such a good God to us. Thank you, Lord, for staying with us through all times. Thank you for inviting us to come and share everything that is on our hearts. All of our fears, worries, anxieties, sins. Lord, I pray that we can do that for another and show them the love and the loyalty of Christ today. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.